On our last episode, Ali Angus and Li Ying Qian introduced us to the top 10 consumer trends for 2023 as chosen by Euromonitor International. On this episode, we'll learn which of those trends are expected to have the biggest impact on the absorbent hygiene industry in the coming months and years. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Li Ying Qian and Ali Angus from Euromonitor about the top consumer trends for 2023. Ali introduced us to the top 10 trends in our last episode. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and give it a listen so you're familiar with the trends we'll be talking about today. On this episode and on our next episode, both Li Ying and Ali will share which of those 10 trends will have the biggest impact on the hygiene industry and how you can be ready to react as these trends continue to influence consumers of absorbent hygiene products. Now, since we're here on an absorbent hygiene podcast, Li Ying, this is where your expertise come in. And then obviously, Allison, I know you know plenty about the tissue and hygiene industry too, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to both of your insights here. But I'm curious, what, in your opinion, are the top trends impacting the absorbent hygiene industry? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Ali, for um, doing such a great extensive introduction to all 10 trends. And don't I wish we could talk about it forever. I, know. I, I think it's fair to say, and as both of you mentioned, that there is an element of relevance in every one of these 10 trends, right? Everything is connected. The boundaries blurred by in the interest of the time today, I would like to highlight six out of the 10 trends. And I think they have a meaningful impact on the disposable hygiene industry now and moving forward than the four others. Doesn't mean that the four others have absolutely no impact or manifestations on disposable hygiene, but I think the six I'm going to highlight uh, will have the most meaningful impact that businesses may find immediate actionable points as they think about these trends. So these six trends are budgeteers, eco-economics, revived routines, she rises, young and disrupted and authentic automation. And I just want to say a few words about each one of these before we maybe dive deeper into these trends. And Ali, if you have any thoughts, please do jump in. This is industry very relatable to every one of us. So yeah, definitely ready to hear any new perspectives. So budgeteers, it's fairly and easily to say one of the central themes across many consumer industries, including disposable hygiene. Uh, with the inflationary pressure we feel globally, consumers are showing increased level of price sensitivity and a stronger focus on getting the bang for the buck, right? Running the biggest mileage out of the products they purchase, including the very essentials. So this is changing their spending decisions to for the hygiene products with a focus on the products that offer the best cost benefit ratio 
So that's something that we see the decision of spending, what they purchase and how they purchase it. And then eco-economic, I love that the cost of living is creating a new sustainable behavior underpinned by economic consideration, right? This is more of economic behavior than a eco or sustainable behavior in its own nature. And it's manifested in pursuit of products with strong durability or mileage and the rise of washable or leak-proof absorbent hygiene products that we can talk a little more later. Revived routines, uh, this is one of the top trends. A lot of industries feel the transformation in how consumers' lifestyles shifts as the broader environment changes throughout the last few years. So as consumers return to their quote-unquote normal lifestyles with more away from home involvement, such as work, travel, recreational activities, such as sports, the hygiene products are naturally expected to fit into those daily routines, right? The intention has given rise to new products and marketing campaigns, brand narratives that really champion this revived lifestyles, independence, liberty, and dignity at the same time. She Rises is a trend particularly relevant in the menstrual care sector, not exclusively, but primarily. In terms of how products are marketed, how products are reaching consumers, and how brands within the sectors are positioned nowadays, as She Rises, we can see that menstrual care products become more available more accessible, and the branding becomes more inclusive and progressive. And the concept of menstrual care is increasingly redefined through the holistic wellness landscape, the lens of the holistic perspective. So that's something that we can talk a little more from the disposable hygiene perspective, but also from the rise of fintech industry that we see a lot of exciting developments these days. And then Young and Disrupted, we're seeing Gen Z consumer play a key role in moving the absorbent hygiene sector towards more authenticity and transparency, as we see in many other industries. And the bar of loyalty, most importantly, is higher these days. Not only brands are expected to offer the quality products that consumer can rely on, they also need to provide shoppers a sense of belonging and be the champions of their core values, such as equality, sustainability, diversity, and inclusivity. So there's a bit of emotional, social role brands need to play beyond being a provider of products. And finally, authentic automation. Now, this trend is very much underpinned by the growing awareness of personal care and the desire for health ownership these days. So I think broadly speaking, it's most dynamically reflected in the rise of, uh, for example, direct consumer subscription service. We see the use of advanced algorithm and customization to really provide hygiene consumer more curated, personalized or customized product mix and services. We also see the rise of smart wearables so products can be used alongside of, of the absorbent hygiene products or devices that simply used to help consumers understand better their hygiene patterns, conditions, and 
guide them through the process of choosing the most proper solution for their health. So these are the six trends that I think are most impactful and meaningful for the hygiene industries. So we can, depending on what questions and thoughts you have, we can definitely dive in a little more. Yeah, that was a great, a great summary. Like being able to condense all that information and the impact on the hygiene industry into like five minutes. It's, it's that is impressive. Yeah, I, I absolutely have a, a lot of questions about some of the different categories and, and we'll kind of go in the order that, that you chose, Li Ying. And we'll start with budgeters or budgeteers, excuse me. The idea of kind of, as you mentioned, product durability and getting mileage out of a product is a really interesting one to me. And, and you know, we are seeing the trend of reusables coming and uh, we actually have some a couple of podcast episodes on reusable products. But I'm curious given that the industry is still dominated heavily by the disposable products, what are we seeing as far as disposables go and trying to get more value or or even mileage out of those products for consumers? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a few things too that we see in disposable hygiene in terms of durability that like you mentioned, and durability in hygiene, disposable hygiene in particular, is very different from what we talk about for other, you know, durable goods or large ticket products, right? In hygiene, from a product perspective, it means more mileage, more absorbency, more leak protection without compromising other key fundamental characteristics consumers are looking for and heavily impact the user experience, such as skin health breathability and and fit to the body, for example. So from a durability standpoint, I agree that because of the budget constraint consumer feeling right now, a lot of consumers are actually rationing spending and really cutting corners to focus on the absolute must-haves for their hygiene needs. There is a sharpened focus on products that deliver better value in terms of the cost-benefit ratio and mileage, hence products with higher absorbency, better leak protection, longer, stronger longevity. Maybe it can last six hours before now they're looking for maybe eight to 12 hours. There is some evidence of this consumer shift. Uh, For example, we survey consumers every year uh, to find out what product they use for particular hygiene conditions, such as adult incontinence. And we do find that products such as pull-on pants or underwear and the open tape diaper, you know, product typically designed with higher absorbency have gained a lot of attraction from consumers globally with a growing percent of consumer using these product formats since the onset of the pandemic. And on the opposite, we see the attraction of the pads and liners have slid during the same time period. In a way, it tells that consumers rationing and shifting of focus to the products offering stronger durability. And brands are certainly responding to this shift, right? We, we see this in a lot of new product development, innovations, brands in such as Atinda, Coco in China, Tranquility in the States, the big names that we're probably familiar with have been really dedicated to some of these high durability, high mileage, cost benefit ratio products over the last few years without compromising comfort and skin health, right? Really hitting the spots of durability, value, but also the quality aspect of it. 
at the same time, you know, brands have been able to really advance, you know, particularly in the period care with period underwear or in the adult incontinence space, as you mentioned, with some of the the pull-up style, but even some of the the tape and open style diapers or products, making them thinner and, you know, more discreet. And combining that with, as you said, I mean, the the absolute minimum is they have to function well. And then beyond that is comfort and then the long lasting. But the fact that they can be discreet and people aren't noticing them, you know, that's I think that was what used to kind of drive people away from some of those products was how big and bulky they were, particularly in the adult incontinence space. And so, yeah, that combination of, as you said, designing a product that's going to last longer and people are willing to wear out and not worried about seeing it in, in you know, underneath clothes or being able to wear the outfit they want and things like that related to some of those lifestyle lifestyle trends is 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 huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that even from the away from home space, right, it's not hygiene product can be used anywhere, not just at home, but also in what we call maybe professional settings away from the daily home setting, for example, the nursing facility, assisted living. And we do see the rise of, for example, smart wearables. Uh, and this is something that we can probably resonate within the authentic automation Trend, right? As you can see, a lot of these trends are interconnected, but there is an element of budgeteer in the rise of smart wearables in the sense that these days we all know the caretaking space is going through a lot of labor crisis. There is embedded price sensitivity theoretically are in favor of smart wearables who can, that can provide live tracking and allow caretakers to be more waste efficient and labor efficient in the change and usage of the products without compromising the patient's user experience. And we are seeing a lot of trials and experimentations in the space really to prove the cost benefit of these devices, even though a lot of that are still in the early stage. And it's important to note that, you know, when consumers are budget constrained, the quality is still a priority. They may purchase less, but they will not purchase inferior products within their budget limits. So that's that's the key here. If we look at some of our consumer polling results, we do see some of the top product features consumers, including caretakers, are willing to pay more for are really the performance features like absorbency, softness, odor control, followed by value for money. So a lot of other features are good to have, but take the secondary space here. So yeah, so I think budget here is entrenched in many aspects of the hygiene industry at home and away from home, from the patients, but also the caretaker's perspective. But ultimately, it's hitting the sweet spot between value and quality, right? To really convince consumers, even the poor ones, to make a purchase. Yeah, and we're we're definitely hearing that from from others as well, as you said, particularly in the adult incontinence industry. Now, related to that, you mentioned that consumers are willing to pay more for more durable products and comfortable products, but they want to stay within that budget range. I'm I'm curious, are we seeing a rise in products where consumers are told whether something has been soiled prematurely on the baby care side? Because that's kind of the one that still hasn't connected for me yet. I think parents are, in my opinion, parents still aren't willing to maybe put the 
technology near the sensitive areas of a baby. You mentioned the adult incontinence space, for sure adopting that and, and all the business efficiencies that come with that. But have we seen anything on the baby care side yet? Yeah, I think in baby care, the wet indicator that's kind of embossed into the absorbent hygiene product has becoming slowly become more a common feature in a lot of the country, a lot of hygiene markets, right? It might be still a premium feature in certain developing markets, but in a lot of developed counterparts, it has become almost the norm expected default that you see in branded products, but also private labels and more affordable, less known brand options. So to, to have a device to cater for the same purpose, the barrier for purchases is a little bit high. We actually have seen some products testing the water over the last couple of years, launching products with this monitoring tracking function, but also add into other benefits such as the sleep quality monitoring, temperature monitoring. So not just banking on one function that the wet indicator on the absorbent hygiene product can already provide. So I think the barrier for parents to purchase this additional device offering this tracking and monitoring wet prevention function is a little bit high now. It doesn't prevent a lot of the wealthy parents or curious ones with the, you know, the budget to from trying it, but for companies to really develop a sustainable business case out of these products and technology is to either multiply some of the benefits that can conveniently allow parents to care for their babies, right? Without too steep of education learning curve or uh, enough guarantee to prevent data trust issues. That could be some opportunity there, but to repeat what the wedding cater already provides would be a little bit of a tough selling, I would say. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I've some friends with babies in that newborn to 18 month range, and many of them are struggling with sleep at the moment. So yeah, as you said, the just meeting the bare minimum of a of an indicator probably isn't enough, but sleep quality and duration, things like that, I'm sure would be a huge sell to parents while, as you said, protecting data and, and making sure data doesn't fall into the wrong hands or things like that. But yeah, I'm sure that would be a huge selling feature to the the group of parents that could afford to do that. Um, but it seems like it's not quite not quite there yet, but I, I'm sure it's only a matter of time until we see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of, because it takes one failure or one error for parents to, or any consumers of essential product to step back and rethink their purchase decision, right? So a lot of progress and efforts to be made from the brand perspective. And also a lot of parents, especially ones in developing market without that much of luxury of buying these technology, Many parents still prefer the traditional sniffing, smelling techniques. You know, it has been tested over time. So it has a market, but it definitely takes a lot more experiments and convincing from the brand perspective towards a very targeted audience, I would say. Yeah, a little more work on the part of the brands to, to get that consumer adoption to happen. 
Now, I want to touch on the other the other five trends that you mentioned, but I am really curious about this aspect of the budgeteers and in in the particularly in the the baby care space, we've seen a rise in direct to consumer products. So, order online, your subscription services, you know, they show up to your door, you don't have to worry about going to the store or running out, things like that. But the trade-off of that is that they're not normally the cheapest option out there. And I'm I'm curious, are we seeing an impact with this trend on some of these kind of growing direct-to-consumer brands, or are they finding a good balance in offering that more value for money and continuing to kind of stay in the budget of their target consumers? Yeah, yeah, this is an interesting one. It's hard to draw a blanket, right, answer for direct consumer brands overall, but I do think you touch on some good points where it's right that a lot of these brands are premium positioned and they certainly felt the pinch of this budgetary trend as consumer become more press sensitive. Many actually had to suffer a bit of margin to stay competitive by either delaying the price increases or not increasing the price at all, but perhaps moving more evenly across the price tier more skews on the more affordable segment, price segment, right? To to keep the consumers, especially consumer become less loyal overall uh, when they are hit by this big financial crisis. But actually many direct-to-consumer brands are growing at a healthy rate. Some of the best performing direct-to-consumer brands are typically uh, more established with good reputation, a loyal, relatively loyal niche of following of customers, and most importantly, a very fast expanding omni-channel distribution network. And that is really key to a lot of these brands' success and sustainability throughout this crisis. Like you said, the digital presence is crucial, and that's how a lot of these brands started off, enter the consumer eyesight at the very beginning. But I think a lot of these brands recognize early on in their life cycle that having a healthy presence in physical retail is most critical to their success, especially a bulk of the hygiene product sales in retail these days still come from bricks and mortar. And we see a lot of these brands throughout the last couple of years really try hard to enter new mass retailer network offline while continue to promote their online presence through, like you said, delivery, the payment plans and loyalty programs to really hold on to some of the customers are still very digital reliant while at the same time expanding offline. Uh, So this is very crucial to their success and it's probably going to continue in the next few years. So I, I hope that answers your question. And it's not just in baby diapers, right? It's also in menstrual care and some less so, but some in adult incontinence as well. I think, um, Jack, I can add into that as well. I think on this budget is one of the things we say about this is that consumers will cut back in some areas so they can spend more in other areas. And I think one of the key areas of spending on some of the things that Leanne's touched on anyway in response to this whole trend, but a big one is convenience for consumers. So convenience is all about saving time, saving effort, and that type of benefit is where we see people willing to pay a little bit extra within reason to get that. And I think as well, just that 
with things like subscription services, the ability to actually budget them so they know how much it's going to cost them every month. They've got it in their budget and they allow for it. So that kind of links into this as well with this trend. Yeah, those are some some great points. And I guess that's the one thing I, I sometimes forget about with the subscription services is obviously you've got the automated shipping, you you know, you've got a schedule and all that. But yeah, the you know, knowing exactly what you're gonna pay every month. And then at the same time, not having to worry about going to the store or or whatever is huge. But to your point, Li Ying, I the point about kind of still needing to be in the brick and mortar space is is a big one as well. You see all the partnerships with some of these major brands that started as very successful D2C brands, but they all seem to eventually make their way into the brick and mortar stores, whether it's partnerships with one large retailer or another, they end up there and yeah, it's, you kind of, you got to be there if you want to hit that next kind of growth step in the business model. Cause at this point, there's probably only so far you can go purely being a, an online player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to a lot of these brands, it's a matter of scaling, then really cutting down the price to fail, almost fail to differentiate from other brands, right? So, and also to the point of subscription as a convenience is that a lot of companies also run promotions frequently, if not sporadically online as consumers become loyal subscribers, they are exposed to more of these opportunities. So it's also a gain for loyalty. So if you get one consumer to subscribe for a few of months, it's hard to say they will leave you anytime soon if they feel so convinced to get locked in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That brand, building that brand loyalty and and some brands have been very, very successful at doing that. And um, yeah, it's uh, obviously a very effective strategy to to keep people around for, for as long as possible and uh, continue to keep them buying your products. Now, want to move on to some of the other trends you mentioned, Liying, and so we'll move on to eco-economic now. And this one was one that really kind of hit home for me. As you know, anyone who who is listening to the show knows, I'm I'm pretty passionate about the environment and and doing what I can to be environmentally friendly. But for me, that started with kind of being a penny pincher and trying to find ways to save money. And so this one really really resonated with me. And the report mentioned that there are many consumers, you know, they're not necessarily willing to pay more for sustainable products, but they will look to, you know, kind of reuse or repair products. And I'm curious, are we seeing that impact things like the reusable absorbent hygiene market? And have we seen that kind of shift starting to happen more as inflation has hit and budgets have gotten a bit tighter? Yeah, and I think reusable is definitely is a big, big validation for this trend. And I think you can spin it on a sustainability angle, but also the economic, eco-economic angle as well. You know, washable leak-proof hygiene products are have been gaining attraction throughout the pandemic and even before because of their economic long-term cost efficiency and sustainable advantage compared to a lot of these disposable absorbent hygiene products. And we see that among these products, underwear particularly has been the best performing washables, not just because of their functionality, but also because of their ease to use for a lot of these hygiene consumers with menstruation or incontinence. And there is a push for washable hygiene products to become 
more accessible to consumers. So we can see a lot of these new products coming to the market, really championing how affordable the product is in the long term and really banking on this idea of eco-economic, right, to the consumers. And that's a big message that brands try to deliver to consumers. So, so in the long term, we definitely expect more products shifting maybe way a little bit from sustainability to this affordability and accessibility message. And I think another, speaking of product format, right, I think hybrid or multitasking products also benefit from this eco-economic trend. I mean, first of all, there is no lack of cross-usage of hygiene products among consumers. If you use menstruation products for incontinence, you may also, for some other consumers, they may be using incontinence goods for menstruation. And the rate of that cross-usage is quite considerable, as we see in the consumer survey. And it's largely a result of, you can say, stigma, lack of education, awareness, but also economic considerations, right? Uh, We are seeing more hygiene brands with products taking care of multiple hygiene conditions from bladder leakage to blood and other bodily discharge by a lot of these key suppliers. And one of the key messages is that convenience. You can use one product for multiple purposes, but at the same time, you can run the longest mileage with just one unit for all. And I think consumers recognize that. And that's one of the reasons behind its rising popularity and acceptance across many markets. Yeah, and that's something I I saw recently is, as you said, that kind of cross-functional product in the, particularly in the light incontinence and menstrual menstrual health or period care space. And I thought that was, uh, the more that brands are able to do that, as you said, is kind of a game changer. And it kind of hits on, you know, so many of these different trends, it's hard to see how something like that couldn't be successful as as you're able to reach more people with that concept and those those products and make them available at more places. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in some cases, uh, the technical barrier for these products are a little bit different. And I think early on, there was a push from some suppliers to really differentiate these products, right? Use menstruation products for menstruation, not incontinence and vice versa. But then at the same time, the persistence of consumers doubling up or multiplying up has done the opposite effect, which is for suppliers to actually buy into and participate and embrace that trend. And and from there, they can bring actually more commercial success, really building on this existing consumer behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I, I forgot to mention during Ali, your your section kind of introducing the trends was one that really stuck out to me on the eco-economic side was the the Sains freeze, like walk-in freezer. And and as I said, someone who does my best to try and combat food waste and only buy what I need. And, you know, if I can freeze something, but there's always that question, like, can I freeze that? Like, what's going to happen if I freeze this? So I love the idea of the Sains freeze walk-in freezer that just showed you, hey, these are all the things you can freeze. You know, you don't have to worry about wasting this food if you buy it and, and can't use it. I thought that was a really interesting concept. I think it's a really clever way to respond to this trend, actually, because you don't have to have a product or something specific. You can show consumers how to be more efficient. 
And this is perfect. So, so yeah, for people who maybe don't know this example, it's Sainsbury's in the UK, grocery retailer, and they opened a pop-up freezer as such, which is called Sainsbury's. And, um, yeah, it was really to showcase to consumers all the different products you can freeze. And, for instance, who knew you could freeze eggs? I did not know you could freeze freeze raw eggs, um, but apparently you can. Now, I yeah. haven't tried it, but apparently you can. But that's the type of thing, you know, how much food is wasted because we are too scared to freeze it. We don't know if we can. So it was a really clever idea. And, and actually, in a similar vein, slightly different, but in a similar vein, Iceland, another uh, UK grocery uh, retailer, they partnered with Utilita, which is a utility company, to run an efficiency campaign. So Utilita tested a lot of cooking appliances, food food preparation appliances, and they worked with Iceland. And Iceland actually promoted the results of these on, on some of their packaging um, in store. And Utilita did a lot of campaigns outside Iceland stores to spread the word about how to cook more efficiently, sort of more efficient cooking methods, recipes, etc. And for me, these are the types of things you do see with companies in any area where they just partner up or do something themselves to educate consumers, help consumers learn and do something differently. And that can apply to any industry. So it's just food for thought for people, really. Uh, excuse the pun there, actually, I just realized <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I did. <laughs> You know, I've seen that on the B2B side for so many years where mm. brands can succeed by being that educational source. And so it's really great to see it. And maybe, maybe I'm sure it's been happening on the B2C side, but it's great to see some of these larger brands, as you said, you know, stores and things like that, that, you know, yeah, you want people to shop there, but, you know, you're kind of veering off a little from your maybe core expertise to say like, hey, this is very much related to what we sell and what we do. And so if we can help consumers save money, be more efficient or whatever, they're probably going to come come back to our store and, be, you know, we'll become that trusted partner. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, anything where consumers get information, uh, education, anything that they feel benefits them and it's, it's aimed at them and it resonates and it does then appeal. And there's, there's lots of companies that a really good example, if you think about sustainability is Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? The ice cream tubs have messages on them like justice or be kind or whatever it might be. It's them getting their social good messages across to consumers. We love it. That's what we take in. And it just creates a bit of loyalty in an environment where there's not much loyalty these days with the with, with financial situation. So, yeah, it's a, any company can educate on anything, right? Yeah, and such a great way to, to yeah. stand out and you know, something that people are going to be using multiple times a week, looking at seeing. And so if you can stand out in that way. Totally. One of the things I always ask companies when I speak to them about trends and they particularly sustainability or anything like that or social good, you know, they tell me, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I say, oh, great. Do consumers know that? <laughs> and more often than not, they say, well, I don't know. I don't know. Well, get the message out there. If they don't know that, then... You're doing it, which is fantastic, and that's all good, but make sure consumers know however you want to do that. Get the messages out there. Yeah, and I, I that's one I struggle with a lot. Obviously, I'm on the marketing side at, at Bostic, and it almost, I don't know, I always kind of 
struggle with this line of, okay, we're doing a lot of great stuff. And I struggle with, okay, but so are other people. And then like, do people really, I don't know, it's weird as a business, we can toot our own horn when it comes to products. But Mm -hmm. I have a hard time comfortably tooting our own horn when it comes to like, social responsibility or, or things like that. And uh, maybe that's a, a lesson that's just like, just just do it. Just not going to, you know. That could be the differentiating factor, right? Yeah. And that's what consumers love. So if it's this one versus that one, but and there's not much in the price, which one do I go for? There may be a little bit in the price, but yeah, toot the horn. <laughs> okay. I guess that's the push I needed. <laughs> Before we move on to the third trend impacting hygiene, I want to mention this episode's sponsor, Cotton Incorporated's Cottonworks. Cottonworks is the trusted free online resource for the textile, apparel, and non-wovens industries. With hundreds of easy-to-search resources at your fingertips, Cottonworks is your go-to tool for producing outstanding cotton products. Are you interested in exploring absorbent cotton for your hygiene needs? Find free sourcing directories by visiting cottonworks.com slash nonwovens-sourcing. Discover what's possible with cotton. Create a free account today at cottonworks.com. So want to move on to revived routines now. And the first thing leading as you were explaining this one, the first thing I thought of was adult incontinence. And with, you know, many people being stuck inside or at least having their routines altered from, you know, 2020 into late 2021, early 2022, people want to get out. People want to do things. People want to get, you know, quote unquote, back to normal you know, normal is a little different now, but back to normal. But incontinence is something that can prevent people from doing that, or at least inhibit them from doing the things in the same way. And so I have to imagine that, you know, adult incontinence at products and people being able to use them to just go out and enjoy life and not have to worry about leaks or odor or discretion or things like that. I mean, that that has to fit into this revived routines trend. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is a expected trend, especially as brands these days really position themselves, not just as the provider of products and services, right, but also as a companion of consumers throughout their the life cycle and different life occasions and be the champions of their life and their choices. And I think this dials into the revived routine very well. And I think from the hygiene perspective, as consumer leave home with their hygiene conditions, sometimes more severe than others, there is a enhanced consideration of how companies can provide that additional support and assurance so that can, consumers can go on with their life without really worrying and feeling ashamed of their condition. And incontinence naturally comes on the top just because of the heavy stigma has been lingering around it for such a long time. And then we do see more suppliers providing products and marketing campaigns really focused on mobility comfort and being active and freedom and liberty, right? Especially focused on consumers with the heavy incontinence condition, not just the light ones. Those have been quite taken care of in many occasions, but the one with severe conditions, how to convince them that, yes, you can wear our products 
feeling assured. So yeah, I think in continents, we do see more products that offer more comfort uh, for active, heavy incontinent consumers, you know, most likely in the open tape diaper or brief format and the pull-up underwear format, really highlighting the fit around the waist, the flexibility, the breathability, the sound of it sometimes, and the odor control. So all the aspects that could potentially prevent uh, wearers from using it outdoor in front of other, uh, in public, other human beings have become the center of new product launches and marketing campaigns. And I think beyond adult incontinence, we, we really see the similar trend. For example, in menstruation care, we see the rise of slim thin menstrual products. And and I think in a way, it has been a trend pre-pandemic, right? Uh, That consumer gravitate towards it because of the comfort and uh, discreetness of these products. At the same time, in the context of revived routines, there's a kind of elevated demand for such products just because the comfort and flexibility of these products. And we do see more products very much dialing into the thin format. And tampon is another product that we see a lot of innovation promoting mobility. For example, we see new designs, architecture featuring the interlacing grooves or uh, the spiral grooves by the large and small brands alike. And these new architecture features are really focused on ensuring absorbency, maximum absorbency, low disruption, low leakage rate during the active hours for especially menstruators into sports or other outdoor activities, right? So we have seen more of that. And in baby diapers, similarly, new product featuring mobility, lifestyle occasions such as swimming, and saw this really interesting product in China that really featured the swimming pants that has this float supporting feature so it's, uh, it's part of the waistband that helps kids uh, stay floated in the water while at the same time taking care of their diaper needs. So a lot of these products through product format design, architecture, or even marketing narrative in all sorts of different ways, trying to convey the message that, hey, we're here to make you more free in your new lifestyles and you shouldn't feel inhibited in any potential ways. Just think. Listening to all of that, that's, I mean, I've learned some great stuff there, actually, but it's really so spot on for this trend because this trend is about, like I said, helping consumers re-engage again. And we've lived at home comfortably, not having to worry about anything for so long. And so it's about us getting back out there where we're comfortable and with confidence. And that's where this really resonates with this industry, for sure. And. Ali, I think that that word confidence it, that that hits home with me. That's one of the we kind of group everything into five trends in the hygiene industry and or five C's and confidence is that big one. And it crosses all of them, the confidence that the product's going to work, that it's not going to leak, that, you know, if you don't want people to know you're wearing it, they're not going to know everything. And so I really like that that word confidence and Li Ying, you reminded me uh, the some of the discussions that happened at the most recent hygienics around uh, innovations in tampons. And for me, obviously, never having had to use a tampon, understanding that just changing the uh, 
design of the the ridges can change the absorbency of a product. It's that kind of science and and innovation in the industry that I can kind of like, it's like, oh, you know, I marketing guy, not scientific, but that kind of stuff is so cool to me that rather than having, you know, vertical ridges, we have horizontal or viral ridges and it changes the absorbency and functionality of the product. And yeah, I think that that type of innovation is so cool in our industry. Yeah. And I think that in a way you can think of these hygiene product as a kind of engineering genius treasure box, right? You don't typically think of it that way. You think it's so straightforward. It's just leak and absorb it and take it all and make your skin health healthy, right? But then sometimes a twist in engineering and just rethinking of the design a little bit makes a big difference. So there you have it. You now have more insights on three of the six consumer trends that will have a major impact on the hygiene industry this year. On our next episode, we'll share the final three trends impacting our industry and get some suggestions from Ali and Li Ying on how you can be ready to address these trends. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me, with the help of Liz Bruner and Paul Andrews at Bostic, and Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernus, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Post-production for Attached to Hygiene is done by Podcast Boutique. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. Once again, we'd like to extend a special thank you to our guests today, Ali Angus and Liying Chien. You can follow both Ali and Liying on LinkedIn, and you can learn more about Euromonitor on their website, euromonitor.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.